Hello and welcome to the Unbundled Attorney Mastermind Podcast. My name is Dave Ahrens and I'm the founder and CEO of Unbundled Attorney. In this podcast, we interview our Unbundled Attorneys, as well as the leading experts in the industry to identify the best practices for converting leads into paying clients and how to ethically and profitably deliver unbundled legal services and other affordable options in your practice. To learn more about how our exclusive unbundled leads can help you grow your practice, visit our website at unbundledattorney.com. All right, welcome to the Unbundled Lawyer Podcast. Really excited to be back and filming these episodes again. It's been a few months. We've gone through uh, a lot of transitions, a lot of work to be able to launch this new brand and uh, comes with it a new level of commitment to educating the consumers about what Unbundled Legal Services is, how it works, and how they can get access to affordable legal services through Unbundled Lawyers like yourself. And so really excited to be relaunching this podcast and bringing you uh, tips and suggestions and strategies that have worked really, really well for attorneys that have worked with us for a very long time so that you can uh, most effectively implement these service options in your practice and ultimately build a very successful firm providing these unbundled services. So uh, we'd love to welcome back Bobby Buchanan. He's This is a round two for us, which I'm really excited about. Bobby's been working with us for many, many years, and he was on the podcast about three years ago, two or three years ago. Yep. And so this is going to be a, a really great opportunity to see how his practice has evolved over the years and uh, and also how you've been uh, testing out some new ways in which you're you know, providing services to your clients. And so really appreciate uh, you coming back and uh, sharing what's been working well. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. So I thought maybe a good place to start is uh, recently you've been blessed with the... Um, the gift of fatherhood. Yes, your first. Right? Yeah. So, uh, how old and uh, and how's that how's that going for you? And then we can maybe talk a little bit about how that's impacted the way you're you're running your practice. Yeah. So uh, we had Luke about three and a half months ago. So we're new parents and just adju- adjusting to that. Uh, you know, figuring out what our day to day is. My wife, she's staying home. Um, I'm the sole breadwinner, if you will. So, just fi- figuring out a routine. There really is not much of a routine with a three and a half month old. But uh, yeah, it's changed. It's kind of changed everything. It's made everything more important and more focused, and made me want to figure out exactly what I'm doing with my business and and where I'm going with it and making sure that the phone is ringing, making sure that the business is getting done, making sure that we're, um, you know, the revenue is is increasing every month so I can give my family the life that uh, they deserve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so comes with that uh, a greater level of responsibility. Yeah. Because it's not just the success of yourself and your firm and even you and your wife, but now you have someone that's really yeah. relying on that income yeah. to be able to, to feed and, and raise him, right? So um, so there's a new level of responsibility, but there's also the aspect of time management and balancing out how to make sure you're you're showing up for him and for your wife and also be able to manage uh, all the responsibilities of the firm. So maybe you can just shock, talk briefly about how that shifted for you and how you've been able to manage that uh, both those worlds uh, to the best of your ability. I'm sure you're still trying to figure out that yeah. piece of the puzzle. Too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there's a much bigger expectation when you have a kid to be home after work. So, um, you know, not I'm not doing as much networking, if you will, after work. Um, and 
one of the, the nicest thing about having a firm um, and one of the reasons that I did start my own practice is flexibility with time. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I don't have court now, I can stay home and help the day start, you know, make sure that my wife can uh, kind of get prepared herself uh, before I leave so that her day goes better. And right. I think that that's the, the best part about having your own practice is uh, you can figure out what your schedule needs to be for your family. Um, and so, you know, typically if we're, if I do have court, I'll be out the door by 830. I'll be home by 530. If I don't have court, uh, I'll go into work uh, around 10 o'clock or something like that. Um, but yeah, it is, it, it makes your time in the office so much more important. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that you're getting everything done quickly and efficiently so that you can get home to your family and, and focus on what's truly important. Right. So is there anything specific that you've done uh, either in the last most recent months or even just before you know he was born to get clarity on like, well, what's most important in my practice or how do I want to be living? Because now you have to think about how you want to live your lifestyle, like how you want to build your work around your lifestyle rather than your lifestyle around your work. Right. Right. So like make sure that you're able to show up on both, both ends. So are there, is there anything specific that you've engineered or done coming into fatherhood or even since then to be able to be able to like balance out both those worlds really well? Yeah. I think the number one thing that has made me be able to feel like I have more control over all of that is good people like I and this is a big difference from when I think we spoke before I didn't feel like I had a cohesive team mm. work that I was working with yeah um so I have I have right now uh, an associate attorney who is just licensed a few months ago um, an office manager and then a paralegal mm -hmm. and they're all fantastic and I hope they watch this podcast mm -hmm. <laughs> No, they are truly uh, my you guys rock. are doing great. <laughs> yeah. uh, they're truly my rocks. I mean, they are all very dedicated to the work that we do. Uh, they are very good at what they do. My my office manager, who has been a uh, a legal secretary or an executive assistant for thirty five years, the first day that I hired her, she was I was CCing her on emails and she was reading in between the lines and, you know, uh, getting stuff done, taking stuff off my plate. And so that has been a huge um, uh, contributor to me figuring out how to how to balance things and, and start. And now we've really started talking about systems within mm. the firm and we're starting to put together a kind of um, an office wiki where we're recording our different processes and iterating on our processes and starting to really kind of function more like a business rather than a, a one-man show. So right. that's that's the most exciting part. I mean, it's a hard work. I'd, I'd be lying to say that it, it's, we're firing on all six cylinders every day. Right. But at least we're pushing forward every day and going, okay, this isn't working. We need to tweak this. We need to work on this. And that gives me the sense of, of being able to look forward to 
say, okay, what is my vision for my work-life balance? How do I want things to look, you know, what, what do I want this firm to look like in five years? Um, and kind of trying to always keep that in mind hmm. so that we can push things in that way. Did you, did you create a vision? Like, did you write out specific goals or do you have a mindset of, in terms of both like on an income level, in terms of the structure of your firm, like what it is you're looking to build? Like, have you taken some time to think through what that would look like or have you written it out? Did you draw yeah. it out? Like, what was your process in terms of, because you know, that's one of the things we have conversations with our attorneys all about all the time is like, if you had your firm, what's the ideal vision for your firm? And, and some of them go, well, I've, I've never actually really thought about that. It's always been like, how do I pay the bills? Where's the next client yeah. coming from? And when maybe perhaps when they have a consistent number of clients coming in now, then it's like, okay, well, what, what do I want to do? Right. Yeah. Cause I can, we can ramp up the volume. We can slow it down. What is the ideal vision that I have? So, um, did you take some time to get some clarity on that? And if so, what was that process like for you? Yeah, I feel like it's something that I've, it's a continuing process that I've always, I've always been the type of person who um, believes that they can, you know, manifest what they're thinking about or thinking about what the vision is and wanting to get there. Um, and I've written it down in one way or the other over the course of, of years, but I think it's more, it's something um, that my thought process is much more, I would say oral, you know, I, uh, the way that I create my ideas and refine my ideas is, is about talking about them. Mm. Um, and it's as far as what I have envisioned for my practice, number one is the, just wanting to love what I do, you know, mm. wanting to make sure that, when I'm coming in on Monday, I'm really looking forward to it and mm -hmm. I'm feeling like I'm doing meaningful work. I'm feeling like the business is functioning in a way that's not, um, out of control. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I want to have a business that does operate without me being there. I'm not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, that's going to take some time, but I want a business where we have enough systems set up so that my firm knows how to do the sales aspect if I'm not there, knows how to sign up the clients, get the work done yeah. and all that. So um, it's a work in progress, but I want to, I, I, I truly do love working on the business mm -hmm. um, uh, more, if not as much as in the business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that really is a defining skill of an entrepreneur. Yeah. Right. It's like they are not just the, the mechanic or the technician, mm -hmm. you know, there's a great book called uh, E-Myth uh, Revisited. Yeah. Um, there's even one for lawyers specifically, which is about the technician, which is the lawyer, the practicing of law. But then there's the the actual entrepreneur, which is all about the systems that are involved in engineering the firm such that in, in, in accordance with their mind's eye, what it is they want to create? Right. right. Do they want, and one of the things that I've always appreciated about you, including the last time we were interviewing you is, uh, the amount of automations and how you've embraced technology yeah. to the best of your ability in order to um, streamline some of the things in your practice that should not necessarily require manual entry. Right. Right. And ways yeah. in which you can uh, take some of those tasks or that time off your plate yeah. so that um, those things happen automatically so that you can focus on the things that are most important. And, that, and with that extra time, you could just do more legal work, but you also continue to take that time and continuing to work on the business, right? Yeah. And and it seems like that is one of the uses of time in a business that ha that can play the 
that can pay the biggest dividends long term. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like really focusing on those systems. Yeah. So um, maybe you can just share briefly with, because there was a period of time when you were, I think, pretty much a solo practitioner. You had, I think, a paralegal. Yeah. Um, at least that was roughly where you're at before. Um, what were some of the steps like for attorneys that are either a solo or maybe solo with just an assistant, but then are you know running into those challenges, which many of our attorneys do, is they start getting more leads, right. they start landing cases, and they're like, okay, this is great, but now I have a new challenge, which is, okay, how do we get this legal work done in such a way where I can still respond to these new clients and keep the retention up, but yeah. then also make sure that I'm getting the legal work done in the background. Yeah. Right? And that's that scaling process, right? So it sounds like you've been you know engaged in that process for some time. So maybe you can just share briefly like, Anything that you learn in terms of the hiring process, yeah. maybe some of the steps you went through to uh, source that assistant, the paralegal, the associate, um, whether it was you know maybe through referrals or whatever that might be, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about the systems that you've been developing to make that team work so cohesively. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as the people um, finding good people, the the number one thing that I think has helped me do that is. Um, developing good relationships within the legal community mm -hmm. and um, and being authentic. The when I found my office manager, um, I actually I hired her on Indeed, and then uh -huh. my other two employees I found through referrals, basically. But I found her on Indeed, and it was actually during a part of my practice where. I was feeling pretty low. I was feeling like, what am I doing? I can't figure out this hiring thing. I don't, the, I, I had hired a couple people that didn't work out. I actually, I hired a kind of an office manager who ended up stealing money from me. Um, basically I, I advanced her some money and then she ghosted me entirely and didn't show up to work again. Wow. Um, so I was just feeling pretty down about like, what am I doing? Not right here. Did a little soul searching and wrote this ad on Indeed that just basically laid out who I was and what I was looking for. And, and it was, um, it might have been just before my wife was pregnant or maybe she had just gotten pregnant. And I was just basically like, hey, I'm this guy who's just trying to build a, a practice for my family. And I'd like to work with people who are passionate about the law and just want to help. And just, you know, we're, we, we're, we want to work hard. We're down to earth. Like I, I'm not a micromanager and I got a bunch of resumes. Um, and one just really stood out because it was the most organized resume I'd ever seen. Like I could tell she was using invisible tables and word to keep everything aligned. And her cover letter was as equally as authentic. And, um, and so she came in and from appearances, we probably couldn't be, uh, more different. Uh, she's, uh, uh, about 70 years old. She's African American. You know, I'm 36 years old, not African American. <laughs> uh, but we sat down and we talked for an hour about life. And I was sharing with her that um, I think my father had just passed away. Her husband had just passed away. Mm -hmm. And we just connected, like just, just two human beings connecting and finding that we were aligned on a lot of these things that we were trying to do. And so it was, that was an easy hire. And, mm -hmm. and so she came aboard. And then from there, the other kind of the – what I would say to people looking for good people is 
start um, decide that what you want. Decide you know you're looking for a great paralegal, and then start talking about it. Start talking about it with your colleagues and putting it out there. I think it's scary to talk about growing your firm or like wanting to expand. I think. Um, in my experience, most attorneys, especially in the family law realm, um, they they get scared about, you know, that first hire. Hmm. And, and so then talking about it with other colleagues, you get maybe negative pushback. You get people telling you like, oh, wow, I can't believe you're doing that. That's risky. And so mm. sometimes I, th I think we don't talk about wanting to grow our practice. Mm. Um, but I tried to kind of shy away from that and started telling my colleagues, yeah, I'm looking for, uh, looking for a law clerk or looking for a paralegal. And uh, as far as my, my associate goes, she started working for me when she was a law clerk. A colleague of mine, he was opposing counsel on a case, uh, said, oh, I just had coffee with this young lady and uh, she seemed great. I just don't have, you know, space for her. Ended up meeting with her. She was a go-getter and ended up hiring her and, mm. and she has worked out splendidly and now she's an associate and working with me. And then my paralegal was similar. I, I uh, posted something on a Facebook group of all my colleagues, domestic relations colleagues here and um, opposing counsel on a case actually kind of gifted me her paralegal because she knew her paralegal wanted to be working downtown rather than in the suburbs. Right. And she let this very experienced, um, very, you know, uh, very driven paralegal go and, and she started working for me. So mm. that was kind of the, the evolution of me finding good people. It's, it's really hard to find good people. Like yeah. it, it just, it's, it's hard to find good people that are, the most important piece to growing any sort of business is what I've discovered. Um, yeah. So, well, and it's, it's the, the one thing about hiring that seems to be the most common mistake that I've seen in my business and also just in seeing in terms of lawyers and, and their hiring decisions is they make them really hastily, Uh huh. you yeah. know, cause they're, and a lot of times it's because maybe they've waited so long yeah. that like there's fires burning and they know they need more help. And so first Canada comes across the desk, they're making the decision right? as opposed to like really putting those irons in the fire of like running some ads. Yeah. Right. Not just taking whoever might be available, right? Because once you interview one person, you say, okay, well, this person could work. I could see that working. Right. But then you interview two, three, or four. You see two, three, four, five, six, seven resumes, and then it starts to give you the context of like, oh, okay, so she's strong here, but kind of weak here. This yeah. person has more technological savviness. She's a very good communicator, but you know doesn't have as much experience, right? You can start to weigh it out, yeah. right? Because you have some context yeah. of some different amount of people. And so you know, I think... What you're saying in terms of really being, well, being very conscious about how you do your hiring and being potentially patient about it. And then also, I think one of the things that you shared was really important, worth underscoring, is that you first got very clear on what exactly am I doing here? Who am I looking for? Right? Yeah. Like, who am I? Yeah. Right? And so, therefore, who am I looking for uh, to fill this role? Not only just the role, right? Because you could say, Family law paralegal in Chicago hiring today. Right. Right. You know, that's one way of advertising, right? Right. And that's just a really broad net. Yeah. Right. Um, whereas you said you, you know, you took some soul searching. You said, well, 
Who am I? What is it that I'm really trying to do? What are my principles? What are my goals? And and just put that right in the ad. Yeah. And say, this is what I'm looking for. And in some ways, that's it's like a like a like a tuning fork. Yeah. Where you're setting a frequency of like, hey, this is who I am, this is what mm-hmm. I'm looking for. Yeah. And then people that are can attune to that will be the ones that that apply. Yeah. And not always, right? Everyone's there's gonna be a certain amount of people that'll apply to anything they see. Yeah. But certainly people that are more discerning in terms of the positions they're looking for, which are usually the best people. Yeah. Right. The best people aren't going to apply for every ad because they could probably get a job in many, many places. Yeah. Right. So they're also looking for that ideal position, mm-hmm. right? That's going to be a really good fit. And so by you taking that time to really make sure that you're clarifying exactly who I am, what I'm looking for, the type of person I'm looking for, how we show up in our practice. Uh, it really makes sure that it's clarifying for those inbound people that are looking for that position, um, you know, exactly what it is that, that that this opportunity presents for them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And what yeah. they can expect. So that that seems really, really important as well. Um, so, okay. So you put out some feelers. You get some staff in, uh, in uh, through colleagues and through posting and through just sharing and talking about what it is you're trying to do and uh, being willing to you know, take that next step. And and because you're right, like a lot of solos might feel a little uncomfortable. Like, well, if I'm putting out this money, is it going to make sure that I can bring in additional revenues and so forth? Maybe you can just speak briefly to that because I think a lot of solo practitioners have that concern. Yeah. It's like, wow, two, 3,000 a month, right? Like I'm barely covering, you know, I'm barely keeping up with what I have. That means I'm going to be putting that over to her or him. I'm not necessarily going to, you know, am I going to be able to make that up in revenue? Um, you know, and so a lot of attorneys that go through that and the experience, they come out the other side, they're like, why didn't I do this sooner? But um, maybe you can speak just briefly to an attorney that might have those concerns about um, maybe what, what it looks like from the other side yeah. now that you have some of that help. And then yeah. we can talk some about systems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, if you do the math, the math is easy enough to do. Let's just say in a traditional, uh, if you're just doing traditional services, you're billing out that paralegal. I mean, you, you, you gotta be, and you're billing them out anywhere from 75 to $125 an hour. And that is a, uh, employee that's not, they're only doing billable work typically. Yeah. Um, so, uh, they could probably bill five to six hours a day at minimum. And if you extrapolate that out over the month, it's really easy to see how they're going to be paying for themselves. Right. For themselves. Yeah. If a and salary is, you know, 2000 3000 whatever it might be. Yeah. If you can just do, if you get, as long as they're hitting this amount of hours each day. Right. You know, five hours a day, that's 25 hours a week, 100 hours a month. And if they're billing out at 7500 you can see that that re- revenue would be 7500 There's a spread there. Right? Yeah. And it's going to free up your time amazingly mm-hmm. so you're going to be able to focus on you know it might have to be the collections aspect if if that is deserves more intent attention or it might just free up your time to go bring in business in other places right um so i think the most important thing is you're finding somebody good for that position so that you're not having to spend too much time training them or you know replacing them or whatever it may be i think that as long as you find somebody that can competently get that job done is a good fit for your firm Mm -hmm. the numbers work out especially on a position like a paralegal where their salary isn't as high as an associate um they can get a lot of the work done 
that I would probably say that that's the place to start as far as expanding a firm, whether it's a, you know, a contract paralegal, a, a, you know, a virtual paralegal or somebody that's coming in house. Right. That seems like the lowest kind of risk place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if, if it doesn't work out, obviously that's always difficult. You know, I think about bringing people on and I worry about it too. I'm like, well, what, what happens if the business isn't there and, and this person is making a sacrifice to, to work for you. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to remind ourselves that if it doesn't work out and for some reason you have to let them go and they are truly a good employee, you'll be able to find another job for them. Like uh, there are, there are so many people looking for good people mm-hmm. that you'll be able to help them get to the next step and not leave them. Cause you know, if that's what I worry about, like, mm-hmm. I don't think it, I don't think it's fair to just, um, bring people on and, and just haphazardly do it. And, and, you know, maybe you have to cut them loose because they are making some big transitions to be able to work for you. Right. And I think that, uh, you know, if it doesn't work out, then you pick up the pieces from there, but it's worth the risk and you'll learn something from, from that risk. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. So, so once you start bringing on an associate, a paralegal or secretary, you talked a bit about some of the systems that yeah. you're engineering yeah. in order to make that machine or that, that cohesiveness between the team, the roles, the responsibilities, the way tasks and things flow through the firm so that they're assigned accordingly and each right. person is holding up uh, their side of the of the coin, so to speak. Um, what are some of those systems that you've been implementing uh, specifically to make uh, your team work uh, a lot more efficiently? Yeah, so I guess we'll start on the, uh, the sales side. Um, so, for example, for an unbundled lead, mm-hmm. um, when that comes in, and I think probably I was talking about this on the last podcast is, is Zapier. Is it Zapier or Zapier? I never know. I think it's Zapier. Oh, is it? Okay. Zapier. Um, I'm guessing too. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, I love that program. I mean, I think it's, it's a genius app. I've been using computers, uh, since uh, my dad was like the first guy in our little small town to, get online and I was downloading games from Princeton.edu. And so I've just been very familiar with computers and using them as tools to make stuff happen. So, so Zapier has been something that I've fully embraced and tried to weave into my practice as much as possible. So when an unbundled lead comes in, there's a few different things that happen. So, um, I don't remember exactly how I have it set up, but I know that when that email comes in, it shoots off a Slack message to Gloria, who's my office manager, and she's tasked with calling the leads. Um, it, Slack is a messaging platform for those that aren't familiar with it. Right. Right? It's an internal messaging platform where you have all your staff and team members right. there and you can send messages. But also Slack has integrations with many, many technological platforms. So they can create notifications within specific channels or whatever you need to notify your team. Right. Yeah. So she gets the Slack message. Uh, she also gets a internal automated phone call to her phone that basically just calls and a robot says you have a new unbundled lead. Cause I, I just want to make sure that she's fully aware that that lead is coming in. 
Um, Which is powered by Twilio, is it? Yeah, it's uh-huh. powered by Twilio. And yeah. then um, we also have a Twilio text message that goes out to the lead that introduces them uh, to our law firm. It gives them a Calendly link. So she'll jump on Slack. She'll just type in got it to the lead. She'll call the lead, see if she can get in touch with them. Um, obviously, we, we're set up right now with Clio Grow, so we have the integration with Unbundled uh, going into Clio Grow. And from Clio Grow, she can tag the lead as to what type of case it is. So mm-hmm. if it's a divorce case, she's tagging it that way. If it's a, a custody case and it's the father, she's tagging it that way, mother. And those tags get them into our automated email system where they're starting to get emails from us educating them about uh, the whatever issue it is that they're having. So the tag dictates which emails that client yeah, receives. Which, so you which have emails for divorce, you have emails for custody, emails for visitation. Right. So that tag then tells the autoresponder send these set of emails because it's this type of case. Exactly. Right. So if we don't, if they don't hire us right off the bat, Mm -hmm. they're at least getting those emails and I'll every, I would say couple months, I'll get somebody from two years ago that um, comes in and they say, I've, 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 you know, read all your emails or I've watched all your videos and they are so ready to hire. I yeah. mean, they have been thinking about it forever, and they've got the cash, and they're good to go. So those are great. Uh, yeah. Those feel like the most kind of passive sale that you'll you'll ever get. Right. Um, and you use Drip for your? Yeah, I use Drip. Yeah. Um, There's a few others. Just Mailchimp, Constant Contact, um, Aweber, Active Campaign. Active Campaign is yeah. more of a lead CRM, but also has that same capability. So yeah. You're using drip, yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing, you know, the the things that I'm doing with it are very basic in mm-hmm. the grand scheme of things. So any of these tools can really pull off this sort of automation for the emails. Right. Um and I'm trying to think if there's any other processes in there with the the zap going in. I think I also the zap adds them as a Google contact, mm-hmm. which makes it really nice. So uh, if I want to call them from my cell phone, I can just look at their name and type in their name to my cell phone and it pops up the number right away. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's about it on the front end. for Yeah, the- and that's engineering primarily making sure you have someone reaching out to the lead in real time, yeah. making sure the lead's getting a text message in real time or as close to real time as possible, an email you know, with Cleo Grow when it's tagged and moving forward uh, because obviously responding to the leads in that – five, 10, 15 minute window when they first come in is going to be a huge, yeah. uh, a huge plus in terms of increasing your contact rate and making sure that they know that you've received their requests and that you're getting in contact with them. So they don't necessarily keep searching for another attorney. So, um, you know, those are all systems that are really helpful to make sure you're making those outreach attempts, right? Yeah. In an automated way yeah. or systematic way. Yeah. Yeah. Every single time, whether you're busy or in court or something else is going on. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the process you know, as far as those tools has been um, just great as far as making sure that we're 
staying top of mind for everybody as much as possible. And then as after, after uh, Gloria speaks with them or sometimes she's on the other line. So I'll make the call. Initially, we have a Calendly link that sets them up for a 15 minute call. If she's talking with them, it'll set them up for a 15 minute call with me. Yeah. If I happen to talk to them initially, then we go straight to the in-office consult Mm -hmm. and we have a Calendly link for that. So we're sending them notifications and reminders for coming into the office. Yes. Um, Well, well, because Calendly has that built in, right? Right. You book a Calendly event and then it will send an email and a text message reminder whatever you want, 15 minutes before, and then an hour before, four hours before, 24 hours before. So they're getting those reminders, and that also helps with eliminating some of the no-shows. Yep. Right? Some people just forget. Yeah. And your teammate, if it's having to be manual, your team might forget to call them, email them, text them, yeah. remind them to come in. So Calendly is really nice in the sense that it it will automate all that reminding yeah. So that that isn't necessarily something that your your staff has to do other than maybe making a phone call. Right. And I wasn't doing that before. Like I had Calendly as a tool, but we weren't disciplined in using it every time. And I think that that's one shift that I've probably made since the last time we talked where I'm like, all right, this is not only do you have the tool, but you have to have the process to use the tool. Yes. So I made sure that I did a little training with Gloria made sure that those Calendly links were right on her desktop uh, and that every single time we book an appointment with a potential client, it's got to be through Calendly. Right. So that we just know that those reminders are going out and it just makes it a lot more seamless. But the process needs to be there. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Um, from there, any anything else you want to cover in terms of the way you work with your team, the way you assign tasks. Like let's say you talk to the client and it's like, okay, well, let's get this person intake. Let's get these yeah. documents prepared. Um, anything else that you've been working on to streamline that that backend process of it? Yeah. So once they come in, once they become a client, we send out an intake form uh, through Clio Grow. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's a, if it's a divorce case, um, we, I have a form that I'm just sending through Google forms. Um, but we, regardless, we send them an intake form. We get the, the information back from them. And then I've developed a system of checklists that we use to move things forward. I think eventually I'd like to, um, get that more integrated with my practice management software. But right now it's just a system on paper. And I think that that's a great place to start anything. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, and this is, I'm, I'm the number one victim of this. I try to fit, fit it into whatever technology I have. Like I, I let the, the tool dictate the, my process rather than vice versa. Right. So this has been a good way for me to just go, okay, what is our process? And, and we use, so we have like a new case checklist where I'm, we have like a bunch of routine things that happen. I go down, I check boxes that goes to Gloria based mm-hmm. on that checklist. She's assigning tasks out to uh, the paralegal or the associate. Mm-hmm. And then from there, everything is built on what happens in court. So on our first court date, 
come back, we'll have a court order, and then we pull out our order checklist. And our mm. order checklist says what we need to do with that order. So whichever attorney, whether it's myself or the associate, takes the order checklist and says, okay, we're emailing this to the client. We're letting them know, is their appearance optional? Is it required? Is it recommended? Uh, where there's a line that says, you know, also advise the client that blank, putting that in there. There's a couple lines for, okay, what's the next, next task? Who do we assign that to? Um, and so by doing that checklist for every single order, it's, we're making sure that we're pushing the case forward. The next right. thing needs to happen. Um, and the appropriate people are taking care of the specific tasks that they're responsible right. for as part of the process that's been outlined. Yep. When this happens, then you do this, I do this, this person, blah, yep. blah, blah. There's like a, there's a system to it, right? Yeah. There's a system. And we're starting to, as we're starting to develop more, the writing down each little step of, okay, when a case starts, we're always going to do a financial affidavit. And right. we just know that needs to be done. So that can just start automatically and we can move forward with it. So really mapping out each step of the case. But that's that's definitely a work in progress. We're yeah. we're not we're not like complete with that, but yeah. something that we're constantly pushing forward and yeah, yeah, did you did you take some time initially before or maybe shortly after when you hired to map out each of the steps involved in each type of case? Um uh, so was there some of that? And then also, I'm sure some of it is just as you're going along, you're improving and modifying your systems. Yeah. Right? So a combination of the both. I wish I could say it was more of the former, but it's probably more of the latter. Right. Um, Which is fine. Yeah. But but you have the mindset of like, as we're doing things, let's continue to work on improving the system for what it is we're doing. Yeah. yeah. Right? And Rather I, than just doing it over and over. And as I kind of conceptualize, and I think it plays into – the sales process too, because when I've, I've been thinking about wanting to put together some diagrams or maps for showing clients when they come in, cause they want to know kind of what does the case look like? And so yeah. if we can more break down each little stage, so they have an idea of like, okay, you were right here. We're trying yeah. to get over here. We're right here. Um, and like we were talking before the podcast of when you're doing unbundled services, really getting them to focus on where you are right now. Yes. So I think the more that we do that internally, um, we can use that understanding to make kind of more of a simplified version for potential clients of just educating them about what the process is and what our process is. And, um, so that's something that we're going to be implementing being more clear on that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that, I think that's a good segue to start talking a bit about how you've shifted the approach of your enrollment process yeah. and those initial consultations and those initial meetings in terms of what it is that you've been enrolling people with to start. Yeah. And so maybe you can just outline the evolution of that. Yeah. Maybe where things used to be, some of the challenges you ran into, and then some of the shifts you've you've made in terms of uh, the service options that you're offering, typical price points, you know, for your local market here, and how that's impacted your enrollments and yeah. and uh, overall in terms of like the 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 downdraft of that, which is the systems that will then follow that. Hey, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> I would say at the beginning when I was using Unbundled, I was a little bit more um, averse to unbundling things a little bit more scared about doing it or over maybe overcomplicating it in my head 
So I was trying to set, like I would reduce my retainer um, to $1,500, but I was trying to sell everybody kind of the same thing yeah. on the phone and just getting them uh, to sign up for a $1,500 retainer over the phone. Um, I wasn't really trying to bring them into the office at all. And I was having some success. I was having enough success, but it, it always felt like um, kind of a grind mm -hmm. as far as the sales process went. Yeah. Like I was trying to convince them that this was the solution and was like, oh, just give me this money and we'll, we'll figure it out. Right. Well, you know, like you'll, you'll find out next what's going to happen. Um, and so it never felt like real, like I was helping them as much as I could. Right. Um, so now I've, I've definitely embraced more and, and it's a work in progress of figuring out exactly how to do it. Um, but we had a phone call uh, in the last few months where we talked about the transition from kind of getting getting them to buy into what you're selling versus just talking to them about how can you help them. Yes. Like and 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 just asking enough questions to figure out, okay, can I actually help this person? Yeah. And is that a do I have a service that can provide them value? Right. Um, and so I've shifted my mindset when I'm on the phone with people now and it has changed things a great deal. I mean, I think I'm, I've doubled what I was doing before as far as converting clients. Right. So we're just, we're figuring out exactly where they're at in the process, what their goals are, what the immediate step is right in front of them. And, um, and I will be setting them up. I, I, and I've been sticking, you'll be proud of me. I've been sticking to the script. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been sticking to the, the script more. And that has helped. Uh -huh. uh, that has helped, uh, you know, just getting it more, more tight on the sure. phone. Well, it's and, systematic and, in some ways right. too, right? Because you can then modify the script accordingly. Yeah. But right. just having a script right, right is a system that you can start to predict. It's like a scientific approach. It's yeah. like, I can put in this many inputs. If I follow this procedure, this is my output. Okay, what if I modified this approach? Right. Do the same thing. Because the clients are similar types of leads, similar types yeah. of cases you're seeing every day, day in, day yeah. out. And so if you're modifying that approach each time in a systematic way, then you can really test what's going to work best. Yeah. Right? What what makes the most sense? What pe What clients like the most? And what gets the the desired outcome? And I think I think for me, what to become better at the sales piece has been dropping preconceived notions of like I, I think I was overthinking like, well, you know, this part of the script's not going to work because they're going to say this or that. And then now I'm just like, I don't know what they're going to say. Like yeah. you really don't know what people are going to. You don't know where they're at. Like you have an idea of where they're at mentally or emotionally in this process, 
but you really don't know. And I think by filling this, the using the script and just trusting, like, hey, I'm just going to see what their response is to this mm-hmm. this statement or this question. Uh, without having any preconceived notion of who they are, what their problems are, what's important to them, and just listening to them right. and learning about what's important to them. Um, I talked to a guy just about uh, two days ago where he called and he was looking for a divorce. And um, I just I listened to him and he had like, kind of some some worries or concerns about it and I said well you know it works like this maybe not like this and um he at the end of the conversation there was a there was just a meeting of the minds and he came in and, and paid 500 bucks within you know like 45 minutes of talking to him and now we're we're off and running yeah. so um yeah just the listening piece is huge hmm listening into what's going on for them and getting their world. Yeah. Right. And then being about like, this person has a need, right? right. No one's going to submit the request. No one's going re- to put out the inquiry of like, Hey, I need an attorney. Right. Go on a website, do a search, do the research, watch a video, submit a request, call, reach out, follow up. If they don't have a genuine need. Yeah. Right. And there's limitations to those needs like financial or maybe they're, they don't have a case and so forth. But for the most part, People can put together some money, be, or and people have a genuine yeah. release, at least with our leads, right? So uh, it's really getting at okay. So how can I really help this person? Being yeah. client focused, I think, would be yeah. a way to say it. That's kind of cliche, but it is really like listening to them as a, like. And you said something earlier. It was you know trying to convince them that what you're selling they should buy, yeah. right? To, to like fit what you're selling to get them to buy what you're selling, right? As opposed to figuring out. What is this that that this person needs? How can I creatively serve that? Yeah, right, and and get at it and ask questions and be like, mm, how could we go about doing what it is you're trying to do, given whatever you have available to you to make it happen? Yeah, and that's a different quality of conversation. The listening has to be much deeper because you have to get a sense for what's really going on here. Yeah, right, and that ch- and I would I would assume that changes the dynamic. Yeah. Of the connection with each human being as you're having those conversations, hey? Yeah, absolutely. And then a lot of times, you know, even if it's just they have $250, like we can make it profitable to say, okay, well, we'll just, we'll draft these initial documents that you need. That's going to be $250 just to start things off. And the automation piece is what makes that profitable. I mean, uh, we've automated a lot of the basic forms. And so if that person says, yeah, let's do that, it takes my paralegal about an hour to do it. I, I spend about 10 minutes looking it over and, um, you know, that makes sense for everybody involved. And there's a fair chance that once they go that step, then it's like, okay, well, so your next court date, we're going to be handling or you're going to be presenting this motion. If you want us to do it, then it's going to be $500 for that appearance. Sure. And a lot of those people at that point are like, yeah, I think I can I can scrape together that that money because I want you to be there. Right. Um, so, yeah, it opens a lot of doors to kind of just pull back and say, okay, where, where are we meeting this person? Where are they at? But like you said, they're calling – they're calling you because they want to hire a lawyer. Like yeah. they have, they've exhausted 
enough options where they're like, I, I really can't get this done on my own. I, right. I need the outside expertise. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So maybe we can be like a little bit more specific about um, the some of the service options you've been offering. Uh, you mentioned that you're having more folks come in the office. Yeah. I think that's, has that been pretty core? I mean, you've got some people that may not really, really don't want to, or they're in a different area. Yeah. Right? So we can talk a little bit about that, but um, more specifically, what are the types of unbundled service options that you've been leading with? Yeah. Um, and also be curious to hear like how it's impacted your conversion rate. Yeah. And like overall with your leads so that attorneys have a good sense for like, hey, you know, if you implement these service options, like, this is the impact it's had on my conversion and, and revenues and so forth. Um, because there could also be the, the concern that, well, if I don't get the 1500 or do the full rep case, that's actually less right. money is the, I think the concern. Well, if I only take 500 or a thousand, that's less than if I got the full representation. Right. But in, in reality, it, it's, that usually is very different because you get more clients retaining and so many of them will transition. So maybe you can just share what your personal experience was in making that shift and, and what are the, some of the specific service options that you offer as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I do bring them into the office. Right now we are doing um, a free 30-minute consultation. Uh-huh. Um, and the the basic service uh, that I'm that usually makes sense for people, especially in the cont- contested space, uh, custody cases are kind of the, the big one, is the paperwork and the first court date. And so we charge $750 for that. There are court costs involved too, but a lot of people can get a waiver for that. So we can include working up the waiver documents and uh, we can actually just file that and then they go to court without even us having to go to court to get the waiver. So that's another option for people. So 750 gets you the initial paperwork filed, served, and we appear at the first court date. Okay. And then once we appear at the first court date, we figure out what's going on and we go from there. And like I was talking to you before, Right now, we're experimenting with it being kind of a monthly, uh, about $500 a month that we do for continued representation. Mm -hmm. And the way we've crafted the retainer agreement for that is basically saying, we're helping you uh, resolve this in a summary manner. A lot of cases in Cook County, there's really no evidentiary hearings. You're pushing everything through mediation. Maybe you have a pretrial conference with the judge, uh, maybe a uh, settlement uh, conference with the parties, but there's not any heavy trial prep that you, we have to do. So that's what they're getting for the $500 a month. And then we put into the retainer, if we're going to litigate this case more aggressively, here's a price breakdown. I've actually just started experimenting with this model. So TBD, whether or not it it makes sense ultimately. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to start trying to, like we talked about, each stage of the case and what comes after that first court date. Yeah. And I think the most difficult thing that I've struggled with in – um, compartmentalizing each part of the case is as lawyers, our brains are built to think of every single wild possibility that could happen in the case to think about every little 
alley it could go down. Mm -hmm. And so you start to freak yourself out before you've even gotten started. And and you're thinking about, well, I can't unbundle everything after the first step because I don't know what's going to happen. And so I think it's a good reminder that you don't need to know exactly what's going to happen. Like you don't know what's going to happen on, you know, the second court date before you've done the first. Sometimes you go to the first court date, you meet the opposing party. uh, They're a lot more agreeable than you thought they would be. And and things kind of move forward in a more uh, predictable fashion. Mm -hmm. And then you can say, okay, the second court date, I have a good idea of how it's going to turn out. Right. Or maybe you go to court and it is really litigious and you realize that it's that type of case that's going to require a lot of hand-holding, a lot of, you know, another level of focus and diligence. And so you can charge accordingly. And, right. if, and if your client doesn't want to pay that, then you have avoided getting stuck in a case that is a headache. Right, because that's a, what the initial offering you're describing is a limited scope representation. Yeah. Right. Limited scope retainer agreement. I'm drafting these documents. I'm appearing for this hearing. I am not doing X, Y, Z. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And really being specific and saying, okay, we're just, we're just doing this for this court date. And in, um, in Cook County or in Illinois, if your client is there, Mm -hmm. you can withdraw right then from the case just by making an oral motion to withdraw. So it's easy to get out of the case. Or if they're not there, you can just send in basically a notification that you are withdrawing and it's, uh, you don't have to show up to court again to get out of the case. Right. So it definitely opens up a lot of flexibility. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, judges are very receptive to it. Um, And the ones who aren't receptive to it, there is some pushback from some judges, but there are organizations now that are advocating so much for unbundled services and limited scope services that they have the chief judge's ear and they can, you know, call up the chief judge and say, hey, this one judge isn't open to this idea and uh, they'll, they'll hear about it because the law is very clear that unbundled services limited scope representation is something that is allowed on every single court date right yeah, yeah exactly uh can you what it why what is your sense for why the clients are so receptive to that limited scope service option that you're starting to lead with yeah <clears throat> there's obviously cost it's clear but maybe you can share for you why you feel like when they're coming in, they they're more comfortable with that than fifteen hundred, and then we'll set up payments, right? right. Like, why is it that there's that they are so receptive right. to leading with that one service option to start? Yeah, I think because it's a um, it's lower risk for them. You know, they're not doling out fifteen hundred dollars, two thousand dollars. It's it's clear. So you can say you're not getting, here's what you're getting charged for. You're not going to get charged for phone calls and emails and, you know, uh, how much exact time I'm in court or how much time we're spending drafting. And your goals can be very, 
um, very specific. Okay, like here's the goal for the first court date. We want to present your case. We want to open the narrative of your case and and let the judge know, kind of position your um, your your messaging for the judge. That's our goal for this first court date. We want to introduce you to the judge. We want to draw a connection with the other side and, and start that relationship. And so they can go, okay, I, I understand all that. That makes sense. Um, so I think, you know, I, th- I think it's the clarity and, and feeling like oh, there's as low risk as you can get yeah. with that initial buy-in. Yeah, they're really just signing on for that next step. And yeah. then depending on how that goes, you know, Anthony Sanders has been on the podcast. He's going to come on again here shortly to break down some of the phases and get a little bit more specific so that uh, attorneys can better understand how to break up a custody case and divorce case into phases and different mm-hmm. ways you can bundle, unbundle each, each aspect. Um, but he talks about how that it's like a try it before you buy it in a way. Yeah. Um, that's the way he describes it. But really it's just, it's a low price barrier. Let's handle this one thing. And then we can see what happens. And also you get an opportunity to see if this is working well for you in terms of this relationship. Yep. And you're happy with the way they're providing services to you. And then based on that, then you can make a decision on whether you want to enlist for additional services from there, which, you know, a good percentage of people do, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's probably, I mean, I think most of the attorneys have shared that when they do the limited scope, it's about at least 50%, if not more, will hire for an additional unbundled service or transitional for representation from there. Yeah. And so it gives you, gives them the opportunity to try to get that experience of working with you. And once they have it and they get a, also an experiential sense of what's going to happen when they go to court and maybe, Hey, this is a little more complicated than maybe I'd thought originally if they're, they don't have as much experience. Yeah. That, um, many of them are going to decide like, okay, I definitely want additional services. Yeah. Um, and then we also talked a little bit earlier about how that also gives you an opportunity to try the client out. Right. Yeah. And get a sense for whether this is going to be a good fit for you and your firm based upon what your goals and the types of clients you want to work with. Uh, cause we all know there's certain types of cases we get involved in and maybe later on kind of went, Hey, maybe I shouldn't have gotten involved in this one. Yeah. But it's, it's a lot more difficult to go from full scope representation to limited right. or no than it is to go from limited scope to then transition to full. Yeah. Right. That can be done anytime you wish. Right. Right. But it's when we get into the full wrap case and then it turns into this type of situation where it becomes really burdensome on our energy and our well-being. And that's part of what family law comes with is stress and conflict and so forth. And so being able to mitigate the exposure to the types of cases or types of clients that can really sap a lot of that energy and passion that you have for providing services in family law seems like is very, very critical to sustaining the practice long term. Yeah. And being and continuing to have the passion and enthusiasm for serving clients um, because you're just not getting exposed to as many of the the really negative aspects or negative types of folks that uh, might really be a, a drag on your overall well being. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And when the when the money starts to be an issue and you get you you get in this almost adversarial position with your own client over oh you you owe me $3500 and you can't get out of the case because you have some pending hearing or something like that um it becomes really difficult and it's counterproductive for everybody involved but everybody involved feels kind of trapped in the case right um yeah i mean if i could eliminate that 100%, it would lower my stress level 
immensely. So right. that is something certainly that I'm, um, you know, always trying to iterate on and figure out, okay, how can we unbundle things a little bit more and more? And like you said, if you have a good client and you realize like this is someone, cause we all know that working for or with people that we vibe with is so much easier and so much more enjoyable. I think as human beings, there is a natural want um, to help each other. Right. And, you know, we're just, we're, we're social, social creatures. So if you find people that you're like, you know what, I really want to help this guy. Right. Or, you know, he's, he seems like he's doing all the things that he should be doing. He's getting the short end of the stick. He's honest with me. He gets back to me when I ask him to. He doesn't have wild expectations about what's possible here. Then that's somebody that, you know, uh, let's do regular representation with and let's yes. talk about what this can look like. So even talking about it, I feel less stressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's usually <laughs> something you can figure out yeah. in the first two to four weeks, right? Yeah. When you draft those documents and you go to that hearing, you're going to have a pretty good sense yeah. for like, were they able to get you the information you needed? Were they responsive when you needed them to be responsive? How were they when they showed up? Uh, and and just overall, what was it like working for them in that one with that one service option? That's enough to make a decision whether you want to continue. Just yeah. like the clients deciding, do I want to continue with Robert? You're also deciding, hey, is this is this really seem like a good fit for both? Yeah. And I think that's that's where we're also avoiding is not getting into a, to a situation where you have like a win lose or you just don't feel like it's a good 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 right. relationship. But because of the confines of the requirements of the, of the way the court system works you feel stuck. Right. And that seems like it's the greatest drain for right. attorneys that are practicing family law is they just don't feel like they have the option right. to end a relationship that otherwise, you know, if they were getting into business with someone, they wouldn't want to continue in that partnership. Right. Yeah, right? absolutely. So maybe the last thing for today is just you can share, because uh, I think I think there is like the under, the, the myth or misunderstanding or just fear or concern that if you provide unbundled services to start with, because the cost is typically lower, yeah, right, which is why clients are so much more receptive to it, you know, and you're doing a limited scope, that maybe that would be less revenue or or just it would lead to less money than asking for more, right? right? Um, so maybe you can just share briefly in whatever way, you know, you can make sense to you about how that's impacted your conversion rate or revenue or whatever is just easiest to share. Um, so that other attorneys can go, oh wow, like maybe maybe I'll get a little bit more creative in terms of offering these types of unbundled service options for some of these reasons we've talked about, um, because it seems like and have some maybe a little bit more trust and belief in the fact that that might work out better for them in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. So I think before when I was doing unbundled uh, and I was kind of just trying to sell the fifteen hundred dollar retainer, and sometimes I would be packages to okay, it's fifteen hundred dollars now, and then it's another fifteen hundred and thirty days to kind of round out a three thousand dollar retainer. I was converting, you know, it was maybe eight percent of the leads or something like that, and yeah, a little it, less than one out of ten. Yeah, a little uh -huh. less than one out of ten, and it. It, it it felt like a grind, and and yeah. and, and that does something to your, um, your just your energy too when you're on the phone with all these people, and you realize that uh, you you can't help them or they're disappointed and you're disappointed. So um, now that I've transitioned, I think 
it's probably I got to look at my numbers, but it's probably like thirty percent or something like that that right. I, that I'm converting at this point. Um, and absolutely no drop off in in the revenue. I mean, it's it's been an, it's been an increase. The the I think the ROI is uh, is higher at this point, and it's only going to get better because the cases typically take four to 18 months. So I think that there, there's even more on the back end that I'm going to be able to get right. um, that I will be getting from these clients. So it's, it's almost, it's hard to even talk about because it's been such a non issue. It's because it, even when you get that $1,500 retainer or $3,000 retainer, you're not billing it. Uh, you're not billing three thousand dollars in the first month. You know, right. you're probably just building billing seven hundred and fifty dollars or so. So the cash flow is pretty much the same hmm. because you know you're getting the money that you would be billing anyway. You're getting it right then. It's going into your operating account, right? And then the next court date, uh, which is probably the next month, you've worked out the next agreement so you're getting $500 or whatever it is depending on where you're at and that's the same thing that you would be billing otherwise uh you know maybe a little bit more right and so there really hasn't been an issue i i honestly i haven't been worried about it it's the energizing part about it for me is just seeing like hey i'm just i'm helping a lot more people and i know that i'm charging them um, an effectively uh, an effective hourly rate that is is as high or higher than it would be, um, and that's really the simplest calculus that I've made. It's like just look at this this first step you're doing for them, and if it's going to take two three hours and you're charging them seven fifty, then you you're you're winning. Yeah, and then it also gives you the motivation or yeah yeah like the drive to want to see what I can do to get that service out the door more efficiently. Yeah. Right. And that's some of the things you've been working on with your document automation and so forth. So maybe in the past it would take three hours. Yeah. 750. Right. And that's 250 an hour. That's good. Right. But now I think with your paralegal and some of the things you've done now that's been cut in half. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, an hour and a half at 750 is more like 500 an hour. Yeah. I mean, right? it'd be like so, 20 minutes of review of the docs for me. And then I'll be the one going to court, and court can take anywhere from ten minutes to an hour. Yeah, you know, in a perfect scenario, you're spending you know thirty minutes on on the case, and you have three or four cases up that you're handling that morning. Right. Uh, so it can really start to make sense at yes. that point. And yeah. have you seen the clients when you deliver that that initial service? Many of the clients transitioning to want additional services from there or transitioning to more of the floor petition. I know you've been doing the payment plan from yeah. there as well. So they've been continuing in that way. Yeah, no, there's, there is definitely the transition. Uh, yeah. And I think that probably 50% is a fair number. That's kind of where I'm at. Some clients, they leave happily. They're like, that's all I need done. Yeah, Other clients great. are like, okay, this makes sense. And, um, they, you know, when they didn't seemingly have the money before, they now have it because they trust you. They're able to go to family and friends or they're willing to take out a loan because they trust that you can help solve their problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You really instill that that trust in the relationship and then they know that you've got their back and then they can go find the resources from there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas initially, if you're trying to get that up front, 
they're leery, right? They haven't had a chance. Maybe they've met you if you've had them come in the office. Right. But one of the things you said earlier was, hey, I was trying to do this all over the phone. Yeah. So now you're getting the folks in the door. They're getting more comfortable because of that. Mm-hmm. And then you're giving them a service option that's a lot lower risk yeah. financially and and it's very clear and so forth. And then once they've had that opportunity, now they're getting a chance to try out your service, get a, get an experience of what it's like working with you. And so at that point, they have the confidence they need to pick up the phone and talk to their family or get the resources together in whatever way they need to because they know that they have someone that's going to be a true advocate for their case. Yep, absolutely. Which you are. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate you coming on and, and, and sharing these strategies. It's really been exciting to see uh, the positive impact some of these adjustments have been making on your practice, and yeah. especially considering that you know, you're, uh, you're a new dad and you've got you know, someone else that's really responsible for making these things work. And so it's just been really thrilling to, to work with you in the way that we've been able to work together again personally and, and see these things have some success and, and know that that creates some financial security for you and your family. And, and certainly uh, that you're opening the doors to providing services to a lot more clients than you otherwise would in the past. Yeah. You know, if we're going from 8% to 30%, that means not only are you getting three times as many clients hiring you and getting that revenue in the door, but also that's three times as many more clients that are receiving legal services that otherwise wouldn't. Yeah. You know, because for a lot of those folks, maybe some of them, it was, I just couldn't do the 15 to 3,000 or it was just too much to make that decision. But some folks, that might be too high of a barrier to climb. Yeah. Right. And so uh, you've also been opening the doors for a lot more folks. And so I think that's one of the things that's such the greatest potential of what it is we're all doing here. Right. Is not only building a more successful firm and having and getting the systems developed to to make this very profitable for your practice, but that th- it doesn't have to be this or helping people in a way that's more affordable, right? Yeah. It can be both at the same time, and uh, it's just been really exciting to see you be able to to do that in what is a challenging market. Yeah. Cook County is a huge county. There's four different courthouses. People are coming. It's very diverse, yeah. right? And you've still been able to to execute on that in, within a market like this, and so it's just a, a telltale for you know, all the things that we're talking about and and, uh, and how well they, they can impact a practice. Yeah, it's been great. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, man. Looking forward to the rest of the year and uh, and being there to uh, continue to refine these processes and, and share some of the tools that we've been researching and um, Direct Connect and some of the document automation systems we've been seeing that are out there now. And it's just a really exciting time in yeah. the practice of law with all the legal technology that's available on education and training. So, um just really looking forward to seeing what we can accomplish in the years ahead. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So thanks again, man. And for yeah. those of you that are listening as well and uh, participating in the podcast, welcome back. It's been a few months, but uh, we're really excited to start putting out these uh, these podcast episodes again so that you can learn these best practices and start implementing them into your practice. Of course, in the Umbel Attorney account, you now have access to the training center. So we'll be releasing... Uh, video trainings that are a little bit longer form so you can get the nuts and bolts from attorneys and experts in our industry. So if you're an active attorney, just log in on your, your account at monoattorney.com, click on the training center at, uh, tab at the top and access all those trainings that we'll be sending out notifications as we're releasing new training. So really here to give you all the uh, the guidance that you need in order to make some of the shifts that Bobby has made and, and uh, hopefully see the same kinds of positive outcomes in your practice as well. So really appreciate you being a part of this community. And we'll certainly look forward to seeing you on the next episode. For more information about how our exclusive unbundled leads can help you grow your practice, visit our website at unbundledattorney.com. You can watch each new episode of the podcast on the Unbundled Attorney YouTube channel 
Or if you prefer to listen, you can find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to subscribe so you get each new episode as soon as it's available. And remember to leave us your review on iTunes. We read each and every one of them and really appreciate your support of the show. Once again, thanks for listening.